to come together, to open up your word, to dig in and see what it is that you want us to hear today. Lord, help us to hear not only with our ears, but with our heart. Help us to listen for what it is you want us to know today. Lord, like Paul, like those those folks that he dealt with in those chapters and acts as he was heading towards Jerusalem, set with his heart to that mission. Lord, you spoke to those men. I pray today that you would speak to us, that you would speak to your spirit, by your spirit to our heart, to our spirit, that you would cause us to have ears to hear. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be obedient to what it is that we hear today. Lord, may we be faithful servants to the message that you give, to the to the plan that you've set forth, to the purpose that you've called us to. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The finer things in life. Happily, some are affordable, like Grey Poupon Dijon Mustard. Grey Poupon is so fine, it's even made with white wine. Its original French Dijon recipe adds distinctive flavor to beef, pork, and poultry, salad dressing and sauces, and of course, sandwiches. So enjoy one of life's finer pleasures. Pardon me, would you have any Grey Poupon? But of course. Grey Poupon. It even has wine. Your favorite spice or your favorite condiment? What what is that? Ranch dressing. Ran, ranch dressing. What else? Okay, so so in your refrigerator, there's a little bit of a little bit of everything. That I like all that. So all that's in my refrigerator too. So. I just I think it's it's fascinating that you can get several people that like the same food, but then they all like something different to put on it to add that kind of kick of of flavor. Have, have you ever been preparing a meal and you realize you didn't have something that you needed for it? And sometimes now if you have have cooked for a long time, you do realize that some things you can kind of substitute in. And it's just fine, maybe even better. But you also learn that there are some things you substitute in, and it takes it the other direction, away from away from better and away from fine. And when you realize you don't have something you need, you can either stop, which is hard if you've got stuff in the oven or stuff on the stove. 
You can stop and run to the store to get something, or you can just press on without it. Now, there was, there's a specific time that I'm thinking of as I, as I say this. There was a time Shannon was out of town. It's, it's important to her that I mention this part of it. But I had our George Foreman grill in the living room on the coffee table with an extension cord. And I was making burgers as I sat in, in front of the television. And so I had a, a couple of burgers. And I was putting, I had some onion powder and some chili powder. I had some, uh, some jalapeno powder and some paprika. I had some, some stuff on there to make it taste good. I was cooking them on a real low heat and I'm turning them every few minutes to get them kind of cooked nice and even. I had both Swiss and pepper jack cheese ready to put on there and melt on there at the very end. I had some sliced tomato and some onion. I had some pickles ready to go. This, these were going to be great burgers. I was, I was really excited for these. I'd been anticipating these burgers in front of the television all week, ever since Shannon had told me she'd be out of town for the weekend. And so when the burgers were ready to, to come off, I went into the kitchen to get the hamburger buns so that I could add my mustard and, and be ready. And I realized I had no hamburger buns. All I had were blueberry bagels. Now, I think if you know me well enough, I watched a lot of MacGyver as a kid. So I just said, hey, I'm going to push through and I'm going to make this work. Well, I pushed through. Well, I don't know if it really worked. I'm not sure if the blueberry bagels ruined the burgers or if the burgers ruined the blueberry bagels. I like blueberry bagels, but they did not go great with the, with the burgers. Uh, nothing, nothing just worked really well. It was, I was pretty disappointed in the way that turned out. You cannot substitute in blueberry bagels for, for hamburger buns. Onion bagels might have been great, but we didn't have those. So I like both those commercials that we just watched. I, I love the one where the guy asks, do you have any great poupon? And the guy shares. And then I love the one where the guy asks, and the guy who has it, I don't think it's that he's greedy and doesn't want to share. I think it's that he just thinks the other guy's checking on him to make sure he has it. And he's almost offended. Well, of course I've got Grey Poupon. He just tells the driver, just, just drive away from this guy. And so they just keep going. He doesn't, he doesn't even realize that the guy was asking for some. And, and I find it, I like that commercial because I think that very specifically ties with what we're going to talk about today. Not that we're talking about mustard necessarily. But the guy pulls up and he doesn't say, you know, I've got some food in here and I need something. You have some steak sauce, you have some sort of a condiment, some sort of salad dressing, some salt, some pepper. You have anything I can put on here to make this better. He very specifically asks for mustard and then a very specific sort of mustard. The very best mustard that there is, at least according to the people who make Grey Poupon. So he asks for this very specific name brand best is what he is seeking to put onto his burger. And, and, you know, it's kind of a Madison Avenue thing. The commercials will make you think that. If you walk into the store to buy a new cell phone, they're going to want to sell you the very best. If you walk onto the car lot and you say, it's been a rough couple of years, I have decided to treat myself to a brand new car. The car they pull around to show you first is going to be really nice. And you probably won't be able to afford it. 
you know, if you call the, the cable company and tell them that you want to upgrade, they're going to start talking about movie packages and sports packages, and they're going to talk about all the very best that they have. And that does kind of fit into what we want. We talked a few minutes ago about this American culture. We tend to want the best, and that's not always a bad instinct. If you've got to go into the hospital and, and have a surgery, wouldn't you like the best surgeon that you can possibly get? If you need your car fixed, don't you want the best mechanic that you can find? If you've got a problem at home and the toilet's backing up, don't you want the best plumber to come and fix it and fix it right now and fix it right right now? So we tend to want the best. And our culture feeds into that by, by trying to offer us the best or convince us to get the best. And this spiritually, there's not a lot of difference there. Because if, if we're here and we're worshiping Jesus, we understand only the best is what is going to work there. You can't get your spiritual needs met fully by substituting something else besides Jesus into that. Boy, our culture sure tries. Some of us have tried that. But we realize that anything that's not Jesus is just, it's just putting that burger on a blueberry bagel. And it's just not really going to work. So our culture needs the very best version of, of what is available. And how often, nobody ever really pulls up next to us, I don't think, not too often anyways, and says, you Pardon me, but what do you have spiritually in your life that's working? Because I need the name brand best. They don't really phrase it that way. But don't we encounter people that we know they need the name brand best? We know that they need Jesus. We know that, that offering them a, a motivational quote or a, a secular song that just kind of hits those good, good emotional notes... Or, or telling them to find a, a TV show that can kind of inspire and encourage. We know that that's not what they need. We know that they need name brand Jesus. Not some Jesus flavored sort of generic deal. Did you ever go, I'm talking about mustard again. I'm circling back around. That's a common theme in my life. Food. But did you ever get some, did you ever get ready to put onto your hot dog or onto your hamburger some mustard? And, and this, this seems to happen to me the most with mustard for anything else. But you, you, you turn it over and you squeeze, but you don't get mustard. You get like yellow water that comes out. That happened to anybody? Oh, I, I shake that thing for a month. And then I go over by the sink and I squeeze some out into the sink. If it's going to be water, just let it run down the sink. If I, if I have to sacrifice a couple drops of mustard into the sink, I am prepared to do that to make sure that when I hold that thing over my hot dog, I am getting mustard. I do not want yellow mustard-flavored water. I want real mustard. But how often do we give kind of mustard-flavored water to our world spiritually instead of real mustard? Because... That just seems to be easier. How many of us go through those motions and we know Jesus. We're born again. We're going to heaven. But our life looks like it's putting out that kind of Jesus flavored something. 
We go to church on Sundays most of the time. We listen to Christian music, maybe not even most of the time, but a lot of the time. We got some Christian books on the bookshelf. We got a Bible around here somewhere. And I'm kind of, Jesus is important to me, but it's not all that there is. And we sort of have that Jesus-flavored life instead of a Jesus life. So I want to challenge us this morning to see how we can stop being these Jesus-flavored examples out in our culture and how we can be real examples of a Christian. I want to start, we're going to, we're going to land in the Gospel of Mark, but I want to start with the, the Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. With God's power working in us, he can do much, much more than anything we can ask or think of. Look at that verse. With God's power working in us, he can do much, much more, too much, much, much more than anything we can ask or think of. That doesn't sound like sort of God-flavored, Jesus-flavored. I mean, that sounds like something pretty incredible. It's much, much more than we can imagine. It's not almost close to what we're looking for. And there's examples in Scripture of Jesus showing up and doing much more. Remember when he turned water into wine? I mean, he didn't turn water into fruit juice. He didn't turn water into clean water. He didn't turn it into cold water, just throw some ice cubes in it. He turned it into wine, and not just wine, but the very best. Because one of the guests at the wedding came up to the host and said, This is the best. You saved the best for last. Jesus didn't just meet the need, but he exceeded the need. Remember when he fed 5,000 people and they gathered up leftovers? He could have taken that little bit of food and came up with enough so, so everybody got a taste. He could have gathered it up and, and made enough so that everybody got enough. But he got so much that they gathered up leftovers. He met the need and he exceeded the need. That's how Jesus often shows up in our lives and we don't always recognize it. Because sometimes... We kind of get this, this Americanized idea, and, and unfortunately there's a lot of preachers that preach to this, but we get this idea that if he's going to show up and he's going to exceed, that means stuff, material gain. That means he's going to meet all my financial needs and I'm going to have a bunch of money left over. That means he's going to fix my relationship and my relationship is going to be better than it's ever been. That means he's going to do so much, life is just going to be perfect. He's not showing up that way necessarily. He might do some of that. But he might show up and, and meet that need and exceed that need in a way that we don't necessarily understand because we're looking at it from a human perspective instead of trying to look at it from a spiritual perspective and recognizing that the excess he's giving us might be spiritual things. It might be spiritual opportunities. It might show up in our life disguised as work. I have said before, I have challenged you, I dare you to pray for patience. And he's not going to gift you with all the patience you need. 
He is going to gift you with opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to scream and yell and tear your hair out and kick things because he's going to give you all these opportunities where you need patience. So I don't want you to take this verse out of Ephesians and assume that this means I'm going to get more money in my pocket. I'm going to get more stuff. I'm going to get healthier. I'm going to get everything's going to be great. The the example that I use, not about an excess of stuff, but about an excess of God showing up. And I've I've shared this before with some of you at at a Bible study. But there was a time, Shannon and I had been married just a couple of weeks. And we were back from our honeymoon. And she was on her way to work one afternoon. She was in the parking lot of, of our apartment. And she backed into somebody by accident. And, and it wasn't a lot of damage. It was cosmetic damage to the car. It didn't keep the car from being able to drive or anything. And the lady, you know, what a great way to meet your new neighbors, right? Because we moved into this new apartment after we were married. And the, the lady said to us, look, I'll, I'll, I'll get you a bill. You pay to fix it. And that's absolutely fine. And we said, well, hey, that, that sounds good. And then we kind of privately worried because that sounds good, except we don't have a lot of money. So let's hope somebody fixes it really, really cheap. Well, about two weeks later, the lady, she was really nice. She went and she got estimates from about six or seven different places. And she went to the place that could do the best work for the least amount of money. And so I came home from work. This was a Friday afternoon. I got out early. I got back to the apartment at about 1.30. Shannon was leaving at about 1.45 because she worked from 2 to midnight. And so we had this 15 minutes of overlap. And in this 15 minutes of overlap, Shannon said the lady came by with the estimate. She's going to need the money in a week by next Friday. And the estimate is for $670. And so then Shannon says, do you want to walk me down the parking lot? We were newlyweds. We lived on the fourth floor. I always either walked her down or rode down in the elevator with her and went out in the parking lot and, and waved goodbye and all that. She says, you want to, you know, you to come out and, and walk me down to the, to the car? Nope. I sat down on the couch and I was really grumpy. $670. We don't have $670. And Shannon says, well, do you want to give me the mail key and I'll check the mail? Because you know, we only had one mail key. And, and I said, I'll check it later. And so she leaves for work. And I sat in that apartment. And I grumped in that apartment. And I walked back and forth in that apartment in a horrible mood all afternoon. I prayed, but it wasn't real spiritual. Lord, what can you teach me from this? It was, Lord, can you time travel me back to keep this from happening? Because we can't afford this. I was mad. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was sad. I was stressed and I was worried. And I was complaining. There was nobody in the apartment but me, but the neighbors probably thought there were five people in there because I was just yelling out loud and complaining. It's in a horrible mood. I was in such a bad mood. I had a friend who called and said, hey, I'm going to pick up a pizza and come over and hang out. And I said, no, not, not tonight. I'm not in the mood. I turned down pizza. Allison is amazed. I just, I was sitting, I was just grumpy and angry and, and walking in circles all afternoon, all evening, into the night. Shannon gets off work at midnight, finally at about 1130. 
I said, well, I'm going to go down and I'm going to check the, the stupid mail. So I got our keys and I went out and I, I went down to the, to the mailboxes and I got the mail and, and grumped my way back up to the apartment and came in and threw it all down on the coffee table. And I looked and there's a letter from a bank, a letter from a bank that I hadn't used in about a decade. It was a bank that I had set up a savings account in when I was in the Army stationed at Fort Knox. It was a bank in Kentucky. And I'm looking at this, and I said, I haven't banked there in 10 years. They probably want money. I probably owe them something. Perfect. Let's see how much more this is going to be. I tore the envelope open. I mean, I didn't, like, open it with a letter. I ripped that thing open, and I pulled this letter out. And this letter is telling me that I've got money in this account that I've forgotten about. And that they wanted my current banking information to verify that it was me and that this was my bank so that they could get to me $700 that I had forgotten about. Now, that was, this was going to leave us, I mean, just, just like a couple of dollars in excess. This isn't a story about God showing up and meeting this financial excess. This wasn't a moment of financial prosperity for us. This was a moment of God showing up with more and that more was God getting a hold of me and saying, hey, you'd have put it in my hands from the start and, and, and stopped being in a bad mood and stopped being angry about it. You might have been smart enough to check your mail at 145 when your wife told you to. And you could have been happy all afternoon and all evening. God showed you yeah, and had pizza. <laughs> God shows up in big ways in our lives. And because they're not always big ways that we can measure with money and with stuff, we don't always recognize, we don't always appreciate, and we don't always celebrate it. So I want to look at three things really quick that we can do as believers to make sure that our faith is like real mustard and not yellow, runny, mustard-flavored water. All right? So let's, let's take a look. We are in Mark chapter 5. I love the gospel of Mark for a lot of different reasons. So let me, let me read really quick and then we're going to go to, we're going to zero in on a couple of verses. But uh, let, me, let me read us, okay? Mark chapter 5. Jesus and his followers went across the lake to the area where the Gerasene people lived. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Where the Gerasene people lived. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man came to him from the caves where the dead are buried. This man had an evil spirit living inside him. He lived in the burial caves. No one could keep him tied up, even with chains. Many times, people had put chains on his hands and his feet, but he broke the chains. No one was strong enough to control him. Day and night, he stayed around the burial caves and on the hills. He would scream and cut himself, cut himself with rocks. This was a man who was possessed. By a demon. We're going to find out in a minute by more than one demon. And when he saw Jesus, he recognized God. And so he went to Jesus. And the, the demons inside asked Jesus, leave me alone, please. And if you know the story, what happened? And uh, I'm jumping down to, to verse 11. A large herd of pigs was eating on a hill near there. The evil spirits begged Jesus, send us to the pigs, let us go into them. 
They, they had asked for Jesus to leave them alone, and Jesus made it clear he wasn't going to do that. So they said, well, let us, let us go into the pigs. So Jesus allowed them to do this. The evil spirits left the man and went into the pigs. Then the herd of pigs ran down the hill and into the lake. They were all drowned. There were about 2,000 pigs in that herd. It's more than one demon in this guy tormenting him. The men who had the work of caring for the pigs ran away. They ran to the town and to the farms and told everyone what had happened. The people went out to see. They came to Jesus. They saw the man had many evil spirits. They saw that he was sitting down and wearing clothes. He was in his right mind again. When they saw this, they were afraid. They were afraid of how Jesus had solved this problem, what, what Jesus had, had caused. As Jesus was preparing to leave, this is what I want to zero in on. Jesus was preparing to leave in the boat. The man who was now free from the demons begged to go with him. This man recognized Jesus had saved him, had turned his life around. He begs Jesus, let me come with you. Let me be a part of what you're doing. We're going to zero in on verses 19 and 20. But Jesus did not allow the man to go. He said, go home to your family and friends. Tell them about all that the Lord did for you. Tell them how the Lord was good to you. So the man left and told the people in the ten towns about the great things Jesus did for him. Everyone was amazed. He begged for this opportunity to go with Jesus. And instead of granting that wish, Jesus kind of turned it around on him and said, go home to your family and go tell everyone. So more than just delivering him from possession, from, from, from curing him of what had, had afflicted him, Jesus said, I'm not going to let you tag along with me and be a part of this. I'm sending you out to tell. God has called you to go and tell. Not just this guy, but you. If you are a believer, we sometimes get this idea, I'm saved, I need to tag along with Jesus. I just need to follow Jesus. I mean, we have worship on Sunday morning. We've got Bible study on Tuesdays. we got some, some Christian things going on. I am going to tag along. And that's what I'm doing as a, as, as a Jesus follower. Mark 5.19. Jesus told this guy, go and tell. God has called you. I'm going to give you three things to make you maybe more authentic or to highlight how you ought to be authentic. And that first thing, number one, God has called you to go and tell. We talked about the four chairs several weeks ago, a couple of months maybe now. And that transition from being a non-believer who hears and then being a believer who hears and learns, you get to a certain point in your spiritual journey, you're not sitting and learning and hearing. Along with learning and hearing, you are going and telling. Go and tell. God has called you to do that. If you're sitting here this morning and you are a Christ follower, if you are watching this live or watching this later and you are a Christ follower, you are called to go and tell. Not sit and take up space. You are called to go and tell. And that looks a lot of different ways for a lot of people. Pastor Steve last week talked about spiritual gifts. And, and we figure out what our gifts are and what we're gifted at. And that kind of informs our ministry. As you go and tell, that can look a lot of different ways. I'm not saying go and, and start pastoring a church. I'm not saying go and get your Bible and stand out on the street corner and start preaching and yelling at traffic. 
I'm not saying to, to go to the mall and start thumping people in the head with the Bible and saying, hey, listen to this. Let me tell you about Jesus. What are your spiritual gifts? What are you called specifically to do? How are you called to go and tell? We've got some, some I think, some good examples in our church of people that are doing that. Brother Charles is not here this morning. Zach, Zach wasn't feeling well out of caution. They're kind of they're hanging away. And, but Brother Charles takes Zach around and Zach mows a lot of lawns. There is somebody Shannon and I are really close to that we spend a lot of time praying for. We spend some time witnessing to him. He is not a believer. And, and Zach and Charles go over there and they mow his lawn. Well, you know what makes witnessing to him a whole lot easier? After he spends some time with Charles, he always has spiritual questions for us. Charles don't go stand in his yard while they watch Zach mow and take out his Bible and read at him. He doesn't take out the Bible and preach at him. Charles just stands there and talks to him. He talks to him about his faith. He talks to him about his life. And that generates these kind of spiritual questions. And then the guy shows up and saying, you know, do you have, do you have some of that? Tell me about some of that. Because Jar Charles is telling him about brand name faith, brand name Jesus, not just kind of religious flavored something. Right over here, we've got Miss Barb who taught school for years and years and years and years. And years. And, years. <laughs> and even more years. One of the little girls that she taught runs a ministry here in town. And she will tell you that one of the spiritual pillars in her life as a little girl was Miss Barb. That ministry impacts dozens and dozens and hundreds of people with the gospel within a month. She didn't, preach her, uh, she didn't preach at a church. She didn't pastor a church. She did what she was called to do. Brand name faith. And it poured into somebody who's now out sharing brand name faith. Tom and Linda aren't here this morning, but, but Linda worked at the school for years as a lunch lady. Worked in the cafeteria. Can you picture Linda? You're picturing her smiling, aren't you? I mean, you're not picturing her with a scowl on her face. I've never even seen that. Never. You picture that great big smile. Can you imagine being a little kid on the first day of school feeling homesick? But you get to see that smile in the lunchroom. Can you imagine being, being that kid, like me, who struggled academically and did not enjoy school, and just kind of feeling defeated, and you walk in the lunchroom, and you see that smile? Brand name Faith. She wasn't preaching. She wasn't evangelizing. She was just being authentic to the Jesus that she loved. What an impact. God has called you to go and tell in some way. And if you don't know how to do that in your life, you're not sure what your gifts are. You're not sure what your opportunities are. You need to start making some noise about that because preachers in this church, we'd love to talk to you and help you figure out what that is. And I don't mean that in a scolding way. I mean, we would be honored to help you find some place to serve, some way to serve, some way to impact. We're going to continue on in, in Mark 
Jesus went back to the other side of the lake in the boat. There a large crowd of people gathered around him on shore. A leader of the synagogue came. His name was, was Jairus. He saw Jesus and he bowed down before him. He begged Jesus again and again, saying, My little daughter is dying. Please come and lay your hands on her, that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with Jairus. Many people followed Jesus. They were pushing very close around him. There among the people was a woman who had been bleeding for the past 12 years. She had suffered very much. Many doctors had tried to help her and all of the money she had spent, but she was not improving. In fact, her sickness was getting worse. The woman heard about Jesus, so she followed him with the other people and touched his coat. She thought, if I can just touch his clothes, that will be enough to heal me. As soon as she touched his coat, her bleeding stopped. She felt that her body was healed from all the suffering. Jesus immediately felt the power go out from him, so he stopped and turned around and said, Who touched my clothes? The followers said to Jesus, There are so many people pushing against you, but you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus continued looking for the one who touched him. The woman knew that she was healed, so she came and bowed at Jesus' feet. She was shaking with fear. She told Jesus the whole story. He said to her, Dear woman, you are made well because you believed. Go in peace. You will not suffer anymore. He didn't want to find out who it was because he wanted to scold her. He wanted to find out who it was because who has such faith that they think just touching my coat is enough. That's why he wanted to know who it was. And she told him this story. And then he says to her in verse 34, go in peace. You will not suffer anymore. He gave her peace. Today, you're healed. But then he gave her a promise. You're still going to be healed tomorrow. You're not just going to feel better today and then wake up tomorrow and, uh uh-oh, the sickness is back. You're going to be healed still a week from now, a month from now, a year from now. You will not suffer anymore. Go in peace. You will not suffer anymore. If you are a Christ follower... You have peace. Now, we don't live in a peaceful culture on a peaceful planet. So you may not be walking around at peace 24-7. But if you are a Christ follower, you have peace, at least you are supposed to, because who is the Lord of your life? Where are you going to spend eternity? That kind of puts a lot of what we struggle with into perspective, doesn't it? I, a lot of times, I have Christians who sometimes ask me all the time, why don't you care more about politics? Because I know where I'm headed. I don't have to worry about politics. I have peace. Not because I'm better than anybody else. Not because I live in a peaceful culture. I have peace because I know Jesus. And I know what's important to him. And when I focus on that being important to me, that gives me a sense of peace and a sense of purpose. I also have a promise, not a promise that I'm, that I'm healed. I have a promise about where I'm going to spend eternity. And boy, does that keep my life in perspective. Because whatever happens to me down here, no matter how much better my life gets, It's not going to be as great as it's going to be when I'm with Jesus. No matter how much worse my life gets, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be with Jesus. And it's all going to be better then. 
that what's going on down here doesn't matter. I've got peace and I've got this promise. That's the second thing I want you to look at. Verse 34. God has given you peace and a promise. He's called you to go and tell. And he's called you to live with this peaceful knowledge that you know him. So you know what's really important. And you're not supposed to get caught up in all the stuff the world says is important. And you've got this promise. You know where you're going. And that should help you keep life in perspective when life gets out of perspective. Because if you're like me, life gets out of perspective 15 times a day. It's going to be out of perspective before the day is over. And then I have to kind of pull myself back up out of the ditch and say, well, wait a minute. That's not what's important. Where I'm going with my Savior, that is what is important. Continuing in chapter 5. While Jesus was still there speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. They said, your daughter is dead. There is no need to bother the teacher. But Jesus did not care what the men said. He said to the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus let only Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, go with him. They went to the synagogue leader's house where Jesus saw many people crying loudly. There was a lot of confusion. He entered the house and he said, why are you people crying and making so much noise? This child is not dead. She is only sleeping. But everyone laughed at him. Jesus told the people to leave the house. Then he went into the room where the child was. He brought the child's father and mother and his three followers into the room. Then Jesus held the girl's hand and said to her, Talitha kum, this means little girl, I tell you to stand up. The girl immediately stood up and began walking. She was 12 years old. The father and mother and the followers were amazed. The girl immediately stood up and began walking. He restored her life. He has restored your life if you know Jesus. Because you were dead in your sin. You were bound for hell. Separated for all eternity from God because of your sin. And I don't care how good of a person you were. You were covered in sin. But when you encountered Jesus and accepted what he did on the cross for you. And became a born again believer. You were restored, no longer dead in your sin. You were restored to life in his grace. He brought you back to life as a believer with a call on your life, with peace, with a promise. And he has restored you from being dead in your sin to being alive in his grace. When you seek God's help, how do you expect him to deliver. That was, that was the third one. You are restored. When you approach God in prayer. The king of the universe. Do you expect a sort of. Mustard water flavored miracle. Or do you expect when you are talking to the king of the universe. Some sort of brand name response. Because you know that's what he is capable of. When we as believers approach the king of the universe, we have an expectation of brand name quality. When a lost world out there interacts with believers, and our, our pastor talked about that just a little bit ago, standing right here. 
Shouldn't they be getting brand name from us? Shouldn't they see brand name faith from us? Not just sort of faith flavored watery whatever. Shouldn't they be getting from us what Jesus has called us to do? Because we've got this this promise in our life. Because he's put this call on our life. Because he has restored our life. Shouldn't they see that? My grandfather used to say, and I I love this phrase. I didn't love it when he would say it to me all the time. But I I love it now as an adult. My grandfather, he didn't didn't just say it to me. We, We spent some time talking about this. At his memorial service, me and my cousins, and, and we kind of laughed about it. But he used to say all the time, don't tell me, show me. See, my grandfather, he didn't care about the good grades I was going to get next semester. Show me these good grades. He didn't care about how I'm going to start getting along with my mom next weekend, next week, next month. Show me getting along with your mom. You show me loving your mom. You show me being a young man of character. Don't tell me about what you're going to do. Just go do it and let me see the results. Don't tell me, show me. James chapter 1 says, be doers of the word. Don't just be hearers. Don't just sit here on Sunday morning and listen to the preacher read you the word. But go out there and do it. Don't tell the world about Jesus. That's just kind of mustard flavored water. Show people Jesus. That's what we are called to do. Go and tell. Lord, Lord, I pray that that you will get me out of my own way this week and give me opportunities to do this. Because Lord, you know, as, as I put this together, This isn't me preaching this message from a place of of having this great spiritual handle on this. Lord, I'm preaching this because I struggle with this stuff. Lord, get me out of my own way. Give me opportunities to do this. Give me opportunities to show my Christianity instead of just making a little bit of noise about it. Lord, give us opportunities. All of us this week to be authentic, to be real, to be Jesus in situations where people don't know you. Lord, don't let us get away with being just kind of Jesus flavored a little bit. Lord, let us be real. Because so many people we know are are hell bound And they are dying without you. And we are the ones that you have called and sent to tell them. Lord, help us tell the whole story. Lord, I just pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.